Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. I was, I was reminded, uh, as John was, was leading us tonight, that there, there, will, uh, there, there will be difficult times in your life. Uh, you, you're going to experience that as a, as, a, as a follower of Jesus. If you don't, <laughs> something's wrong, uh, actually. And you, you will go through some very, very difficult times. And, and um, I've, I've, I've reminded a few people of this lately that I've had the opportunity to minister to maybe over the last few years. And, and it really kind of comes down to this. When you go through those really difficult times, here's the question that you're eventually going to have to answer. Is Jesus enough? I don't, I'm not sure. Some of you will understand that. Others of you probably won't because you haven't been there. And so you've been there. Really, in the depths of that moment, you know, you start off and you, you're, you're so excited about Jesus, you know, you go to tech hell with a water pistol. And, uh, you know, you're just pumped up and ready to go. You're, you're telling everybody that you can about Jesus and, you know, you're just so excited. And then somewhere along the line, there's going to be difficult times and they're going to come and they're going to challenge you and they're going to question your faith and you're going to be put, you know, you're going to be put to the test. And in those moments, uh, there's going to be, there's going to be times when you're going to stop and you're going to say, is, is, wait a minute, is, is Jesus enough? Is he, is he enough? I, I experienced this a couple times in my ministry at, at a very, very deep level about five or six years ago. I experienced that and, and I took a seven week sabbatical. And I remember that, uh, that God showed up over and over and over and over again in some amazing ways. And, um, and he whispered in, in my ear and, and this is the, he whispered in my ear, and I, there's, there's a lot of things that God could have done. He could have showed up and done a lot of things, but here's the most amazing thing. He just showed up one day, and he whispered in my ear, and he said, I love you. And I knew at that moment that he's enough. He's enough. The scary thing is, I went back and almost resigned. Almost resigned the church. I did. It's a true story. I, I actually stood up for our people that day. I had spent out of the seven weeks. I would say I spent six weeks, really six weeks, just at, at a point that I had never been in my life. I don't know that I had ever been. Experienced God in some amazing ways, and really walked the church through that for the next few weeks. And just said, "Let me tell you what happened this day." And that's kind of what we did for the next few weeks. Uh, but honestly, I stood on the stage that day and, and uh, the place was full and, and it was a great crowd. And I looked at that crowd. My wife was a little bit nervous because she's seen me like this before. She knows what I'll do. And, uh, and, and literally, I stood on that stage that day and I told our folks, I said, guys, i got to be honest with you. Uh, here's what God's done to me over the last few weeks. He's took me back to a place where I realized that he's enough. And here's what I know. that I know that if, if being the pastor of this church, being the senior pastor of this church, if it would stand in the way of me feeling what I feel right now, I would resign today and walk out that door laughing. Now, our people <laughs> had kind of a weird look on their face. You know what I'm saying? What? And, and I, didn't, I didn't mean it ugly, and they know me well enough, and I didn't have to worry about them getting upset or mad or anything like that. But we kind of worked through that for a little bit. And I said, because you know what? At the end of the day, it's not about building uh, huge churches. It's not about building resumes. It's not about doing all those things. At the end of the day, for, each, every, uh, for every individual, we have to answer that question, is Jesus enough? Because if he's not enough in the hard times, he'll never be enough in the good times. 
And, and he's got to be enough, and he just is. And we talked about last night about what it means to walk with Jesus and to have a heart for God and to, and to really what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And, and if, you don't, if, if, you don't, if he's not enough, you're not going to give it what it takes to ever reach that point in your life. Okay, I'm off track. i got to jump back in and, and, uh, and share the message that God, is, uh, I think, has for you tonight. So uh, we talked about what we talked about last night. Y'all remember? Talked about growing up, didn't we? Uh, tonight we're going to talk about stepping up. Uh, y'all know what it means. I feel just like you do, buddy. <laughs> uh, I tell you, I, yeah, y'all know, y'all can tell I get a little distracted. Uh, step up. What does it mean to step up? Well, tonight I want to talk about step up. And really when I talk about step up, what I'm referring to is I'm going to talk about serving. Y'all excited, aren't you? <laughs> you can't wait for this man. I'm going to talk about serving. And so my assignment, Lynn gave me this assignment tonight. And, and so my assignment is, is that um, I'm, I'm going to read some scripture because that would be cool. It would be good to do that. I'm going to read some scripture. I'm going to tell some really, really sad stories, which, of course, were designed to make you feel guilty, overwhelmed with shame. Because of the sorry person that you are. That's right. It's our job as pastors. Don't we know it? Absolutely. If you ain't gone home on a Sunday without having your weekly whipping, you ain't been to church, right? That's kind of the way it is. And we know that's our job. And so my job tonight is to tell some sad stories, make you feel really guilty, so that during the invitation, we can trick you into volunteering for anything in this church that needs to be done. And so that's my job. And, uh, and some of you that have been really, really bad and you hadn't been serving, I mean, for those of you, I'm really, really bad people and you haven't really been doing a whole lot for the Lord, guess what? We're going to ask you to serve in the children's ministry. And you're going to have to serve in the nursery and you're going to have to work, di- you're going to have to clean up dirty diapers for the rest of your life. <laughs> to serve your penance before God, I'm just saying. That's not what I want to do at all. I I don't want to do that at all. That is not going to be my approach at all. I did grow up in that church. I understand a little bit about that church of why what we have to do as pastors sometimes to try to manipulate and trick and do everything we can to get people to be able to sign up for positions in the church just to serve. Not glorified positions just in an area just to serve. And and that's not what I want to do. I don't want to do that at all because serving based on, on shame and guilt doesn't work work it doesn't work for you it doesn't work for us the worst thing in the world that we could do in a church would be to have you to volunteer in the children's ministry if you don't love kids I mean, I can just see that, you know, picture in my head. There's some sweet family taking their child down the hall to check them in to whatever class that it might be. And that child looking in the room and seeing you and starting to scream, Oh, mama, please don't make me go in there with that mean man. I mean, that's just not what the church wants to experience. It's not good for you. It's not good for us. That is not what I want to do at all. Tonight, really what I want to talk about, and you've got to hear me well, Tonight, I want to talk about the most essential ingredient to serving, and it is your heart. It's your heart. I want us to look at a really cool story, I think, about the disciples in Jesus that's found in John chapter 13. In fact, if you probably are already saw these, you know, and those of you that really probably, uh, you know, uh, pretty sharp in the word. You're like, I know we're going John 13 and we're going to talk about washing feet. And we are. And the end of the service, Clay is here to wash everybody's feet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I knew he would really like that. Uh, so anyway, uh, we, we, tonight we want to talk about a passage that really 
It's the classic passage on serving. It's the classic passage on serving that's exemplified by Jesus. And it lays the, listen, it lays the foundation for all serving. All real ministry is about the heart. Because all real ministry goes forward through the heart of serving. I learned a long time ago, if I'm going to be a good husband, i got to learn to serve my wife. If my wife is going to be a good wife, she's got to learn to die to herself, and she's got to learn how to serve me. And see, so we have to preach sermons on the roles of a, of a husband and the roles of a wife, when really, if we just talked about the heart, and if everybody had the heart of serving, it wouldn't be a big deal. You would just serve out of the overflow. If I want to be a good dad, you know what i got to learn how to do? i got to learn how to serve my children and serve my children well. If I'm going to be a great pastor, I've got to learn how to serve my staff and serve those staff well. I've got to learn how to serve our people and serve them well. That I don't put myself on some kind of pedestal that I'm way up here and your job is to serve me. That is not it at all. It's all about the thing called the heart. The heart of serving. How could I ever operate in leadership that is Jesus-style driven if I don't understand the passion to serve. And you're never going to be the volunteer that, that, that God wants you to be. Forget about what the staff, forget about what day three expects from you. You will never be the volunteer that God has called you to be in whatever area it is if you don't understand the critical issue of the heart of serving. So let me ask right up front, <laughs> how is your heart to serve? Just think about it. How it's your heart to serve? Is, is it really beating for the cause of Jesus? Let me ask you another way. Is your heart really, is it beating for the heart of other people? So, John 13. Uh, it's probably a really familiar passage. I'm sure you've heard it before. And I'm probably going to say some stuff that you've heard before and you'll just smile and nod your head. How about that? We find Jesus and his disciples are having a supper, and it happens to be the last supper that these guys are going to have with Jesus. It's the very last one. And in a couple of days, Jesus is going to be crucified, and his disciples just don't happen to have that handy little piece of information. And it would be a pretty big deal if they had. I'm sure that maybe they would have went into this particular supper with a little bit different attitude. There, there would have been maybe a healthy tension. I, I don't know. M maybe they would have been paying close attention to the details if they had known. But really, they could not wrap their brains around it. They were convinced that they were going to serve a great king. You know, he was going to take over. He was going to rule the government. They were going to get to rule the government with him. I mean, they were all in. They were excited about the potential of great in their lives. They had no earthly idea that in a couple of days all of that was going to come crashing down around them. We find a little bit more about what these guys are talking about in Luke's account of this very same supper. In Luke we find that they're having this discussion. It's not a discussion. They were Baptists I think. So it was an argument. <laughs> because Baptists fuss and fight better than any denomination I know of. So what were they arguing about? Y'all remember? Those of you that are kind of students of the word probably remember this. They wanted to know who the greatest was, right? And it was probably Matthew that probably spoke up and said, I'll tell you right now who the greatest is. You boys can do ministry if it weren't for me. 
I've had some of those people on our finance team, you know, that stood up and said, I'll tell you right now, preacher, you can do all you want to do, preach all you want to preach, but there ain't no money to do it. Our responsibility is to provide the finances. We are the most important people in the church. And then it was probably Peter. You know, Peter jumped up, you know. Peter jumped up and said, come on now, boys. Y'all know who the most important is. You know it would be me. He said, do you remember that time? Remember that time when Jesus was walking on the water? And he probably looked at him and said, no, you probably don't. But I do because I was the only one out there with him. So obviously, I would be the most important. I know he loves me when he loves y'all. And if he doesn't, he should. And so they're having this kind of this discussion. Now let's pick up the story, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come. Pay attention to what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. Hmm. He loved his disciples. He loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. And it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. He knew that. Jesus knew that the Father had given him all authority over everything that he had come from God and that he would return from God. So, he got up from the table... Hmm. took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around them. Now, there's a word that I want to pay close attention to in this passage of Scripture, and you may not know what the word is. It's an interesting word. It's only two letters, actually. It's a very small word. But I think that everything in this passage, at least from my perspective, as I've looked at it and studied it over the years, everything in this particular passage really hinges on this one word. And there are a lot of big words. There are a lot of important things that are said in this passage. But for me, as I've looked at this passage, I go, hmm, there's that word, so. 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 In the passage, we find out all the things that Jesus knew. He knew that he was going to die. He knew that he had about two days and was going to be tortured. He knew how badly that he would be beaten. He knew that. He knew that he would be crucified, nailed to a cross, naked, and hung before the world. He knew that that was going to happen. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that. If he sat with his disciples, he understands betrayal better than anybody else could possibly understand that one of the closest friends that he had on planet Earth, he knew that night... He's going to betray me. That's what he knew. He knew that he was the son of God. He knew that he was the son of God. He knew that God had given him all power and all authority on earth. He knew all of that. But the Bible says, so he got up from the table. That's just a little strange to me. Now, if Jesus hadn't known that, I would probably go, okay, I get it. You know, I I get it. But Jesus knew what was coming. He knew everything that he was going to go through, and he knew his purpose. He knew that his purpose was to go to that center cross that we talked about on Sunday morning. He knew that his job, his purpose, his role in life was to be able to go to the cross, die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. That's what he knew. And I don't know about you, but if it was me, 
And if I knew anything like that, if I knew that I was the Son of God, if I knew that I was fixing to give my life on the cross for the sins of the world, I probably would have had a little bit different of an attitude. I probably just would have. I probably would have sat there and I'd have said, boys, do you know who I am? You better grab yourself a towel and start washing some feet. That's probably the way I would have handled it. I would have said it in love, of course, but you know, I would have said it nonetheless. I probably, knowing me, I probably would have wanted to walk over to Judas, take him to the side just a little bit and then look deep into his eyes and I would have wanted to say something like this. You know, I know. I know what you're going to do. I want you to know that I know what you're going to do. I want you to know that I know what you're going to do and I want you to know that my Heavenly Father has already told me he's going to take care of it. I just want you to know that I know. Probably maybe how I would have handled it. So Jesus knew all of this stuff, and yet he does the strangest thing. He took off his outer garment, grabbed a towel, put it around his waist, and instead of demanding to be served, he served Now, there are commentaries, and you read these commentaries, this is what they'll tell you. They'll tell you that Jesus was setting an example. Mm. I, I guess you could preach that sermon. But if that's all you see, that Jesus was simply, uh, he was simply setting the example, then you miss the power of this passage. For Jesus, it was so much more about than just setting an example to say, boys, I'm not really into this foot washing thing, but here, here's what I want you to know. I'm going to set an example for you. I mean, I'm going to teach you what you need to do. I don't want to do it myself. My heart's not in it. I don't really like it. I don't like feet, especially don't like dirty feet, but I'm doing this so I can be an example so y'all learn from me. That's not what's happening in this passage. And if that's what you see, you will miss the point. It is all about the reflection of his heart. The love, the incredible amount of love that he had for his disciples. We're in a moment where all of this stuff is resting on his shoulders. He could die to himself and think about somebody else. Now, in first century Jewish culture, people would uh, wear, who would wear similar types of clothing, a towel and some kind of garment, uh, to clean or to wash would have been, watch this, slaves or servants. Hmm. Slaves or servants in this culture, very widely known. You've probably heard that part. So for the disciples, understand, I'm going to say this probably a couple times because I want to drill this in. For the disciples, this was, they'd never seen anything like this before. You, you got to know that because we give them a hard time. Well, if I'd been there, I'd have washed his feet. I mean, I'd have thought about it if it'd been me. I can't believe old Pete. What was he thinking? What an idiot he was. Where was John? They had never seen this happen before. To understand the immensity of what it meant to wash feet, you sort of have to understand this task in its context. And uh, now we have paved roads and we have concrete sidewalks. But in this particular uh, time in first century Palestine, all the roads leading to Jerusalem were dirt roads. They were dirt roads. And if the road was dry, and I've tried to do this, literally I wanted to do this uh, a couple of years ago when I preached this passage. I said, how can we do it where I can I don't build a box or something? How can I create this particular dusty type atmosphere? And we could not figure out how to do it. 
Every type of dirt that we thought about, we thought, well, that's dusty, but it's not dusty enough. Because I talked to people who had been there, and they said, literally, when you take a step, poof, there'd be, a, there'd be a, a cloud that would just rise up around you. Now, if it was wet, then it would be a cake-like mud. That A cake-like mud that literally would stick to you like glue. And you have to understand this first century shoe apparel. It was just a piece of leather. A piece of leather with another uh, strips of leather and you just tied it around. It was just to protect the very bottom of your feet at best. And back in those days, they didn't have any type of vehicle. And so they would travel, they would travel either on or they would travel with. And for those of you that have been to third world countries, you can get this image in your mind. Because if you've been to a third world country, you get this. When they traveled, they would travel on or they would travel with their animals. And they didn't have any rest areas along the way. So like, you know, talking, Mr. Ed couldn't turn around and look and say, I got to go, you know. Like, can we maybe turn off at the next exit so I can do my business? They didn't happen. So what you have to understand, and if you've been in a third world country, you know what I'm fixing to say is true. They stop in the middle of the road. Those animals stop where they are. Got no pride whatsoever. You know what I mean? And they will do their business right there. I was in Africa. And I'm telling you what blew my mind in Africa. Also, the same, I saw the same thing happen in Cambodia. The people do just like the animals. I'm not kidding. Downtown Phnom Penh. Downtown. It's the big, it's the capital city. And I saw these people stop. And there they went. When we first got there, this is a true story. When we first got there, I thought, when I walked down the roads, I thought, this, if y'all been to third world country, you know there's that third world country smell. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Any of you have been there? I mean, as soon as the, the doors open on the plane, you go, ooh, that's bad. That's not a good smell. And you're trying to figure out, where exactly does it come from? I'm walking down these streets, you know, and I'm thinking, I don't remember it raining today. I'm dumb. I, think, I, think, you know, I don't think it's raining today when suddenly it occurred to me. I know why the streets are wet. And if you don't know, I'll talk to you after the service and let you know what that's all about. In other words, whatever was on the roads was on their feet. So nobody wanted to wash feet. It's not just a task that anybody would be happy about. Now, in, in first century Jewish culture, some host would wash uh, the feet of their guest. Uh, they would want to make sure, let me, let me state that another way. They would want to make sure that their, the, guest, uh, the, the feet of their guest got washed, but they wasn't going to do it. They, they, wasn't gonna, they, they weren't going to do it. They said, I'm not going to, I want to make sure your feet are washed. And maybe it wasn't because they were being kind or gentle. They didn't want their stinking feet in their house. I think that's probably what it was. But anyway, they would say, you know what? I'm going to assign this task to somebody else. And here's what they would do. They would, if, it was, if you were a rabbi and you weren't at home, there is no way that they would ask you to wash feet. They wouldn't ask a teacher or another family member. They wouldn't give this task to a servant who was of Jewish origin. Are you, are you listening to me? They would give this task to a Gentile servant or a foreign slave. Whoever had the task of washing feet was the lowest of the low. So you gotta understand. And these disciples, they weren't bad men. 
But they had never in their whole life ever seen or heard tell of somebody doing what they did. I know that it had to get their attention. And they had to be thinking, oh my word. What are we doing? Now with that background in mind, maybe you can sense the struggle when when Jesus is kneeling down to Peter. And Peter looks at him. And he asked him this question in verse 6. He says, Lord, I, I, I wish I knew exactly how he said it. Lord, I, I, there had to be a little quiver in his voice. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And I'm sure that Peter's saying, no, no way. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what we were thinking. I, we, we weren't thinking, but Jesus, we'd never seen this done before. I, we, don't, we, didn't, we don't know what to do. We didn't know that we should wash feet. I mean, we just thought, we just assumed if we had known, Jesus, if I had known, I believe with all of my heart that Peter loved Jesus. I believe that he loved him. He eventually gave his life for the cause of Christ. He loved his Savior. He really did. He messed up. He made mistakes, but his heart was full of love for his Savior. And I believe that if Peter had known, if he had any idea when he walked into that room, he would have been the first one to walk over grab a basin, grab a towel, and he would have said, please, let me wash your feet. Jesus, I'll start with you. But he didn't know. But now he knows. And he understands that all great serving comes from a heart to serve. See, it's about the heart. It's, It's about the heart. It's not about rules and regulations of serving. And I, we in churches, we do that sometimes. We try to, we want to impose, we want you to feel guilty. So we want to make sure that you understand the rules and regulations of serving. And we want to guilt you into serving. It's, it's not about whether or not it is a part of your calling or gift set. You see a need, you meet a need, and you serve out of a heart that overflows with love. Here's been the thought that's crossed my mind. Maybe since I've been in the ministry, I don't know. Certainly very early on. The thought that's always been in my mind is this. Is that why in this world do we have to work so hard to enlist and recruit volunteers? Why? You know, there are conferences just for this. They have conferences. You go to the conference and they will take their books that have been written to teach us how to come back and guilt you into serving. Okay, it's not supposed to be guilt, but that's our deal. They, they come up with all these different creative ideas, things that we can do, strategies that we can implement so that we can get you to be able to serve. This year, our goal this year at Springwell was to take our volunteers from 300 to 500. In one month, we shot up 100 volunteers. And we've done some cool things. we got a thing called test drive. And we do that every month. And anyway, it's cool. You get to test drive a ministry and to see whether or not you're interested in it. And we have all of these particular things. And it's always, it's always just amazed me. Why is it that we have to beg you to serve your God? Why? And it's not just Springwell. It's every church I know of. You know what we do? We try to motivate people by sharing the positive benefits of serving children. <laughs> Don't we? Man, I've ch- I, look, I look at our ministry leaders and I say, you know what? You've got you've to you've draw these people in to the wonderful benefits of serving. 
you got to let them know that their lives are going to be fulfilled and how their life is going to be filled with meaning and purpose if they will wipe that dirty hiney every Sunday and do it in the name of Jesus. (laughs) And you know what, guys? I'm going to be honest with you. Every single one of those things is true. But let me tell you what's interesting. On the premier passage in the Scripture, on serving, where Jesus exemplified what it means to serve, none of that's in this passage. You, you can't make it. It's not there. You can't twist it. You can't turn it. There's nowhere to put it. I would love to put it in an outline. It's just not there. You cannot do that and be correct and do exeg- uh, correct exegetical work on this particular passage because it's just not there. Jesus did not talk about the benefits of washing feet. He didn't say, boys, let me talk to you about the benefits of washing feet. He didn't say, washing feet, my friends, is the secret to life. He didn't say that washing feet was a spiritual gift. You know what? At the end of the day, washing dirty feet is just washing stinking feet. And sometimes serving in church is just a big old pain in the rear. I wasn't supposed to say that, I don't guess. I think that most people today are looking for a calling. And they're looking for a special calling on their lives. And I think a calling elevates the person who's been called by God, right? I mean, have you seen it? You know, people say, well, you know, so where do you serve? Are you serving in a church? Yes, you know, I've I've been called to preach. Bow down, if you would, please. (laughs) Kiss my feet. Because precious are the feet of those who preach the gospel. Get down there and kiss mine. Oh, I've been, I've, you know, I've been called to sing. That's my gift. I've been called to play. I've been called to teach. But I've never in all my life ever heard anybody say, I've been called to wash stinking feet. I'll tell you what Colin does, and I'm all about Colin, so I don't want you to mis- misunderstand me, but when, when you talk about Colin, doesn't it really elevate the person who's been called? Because it becomes all about that person. Well, you know, he's been called. God's going to do great things with him. She, she will do wonders for the kingdom of God because they have the calling of God on their lives. You people, bless your heart, you ain't got the calling. You know what I mean? Y'all just chump chains to God. But those of us with the special calling, now it's a lot different for us because we're special. Serving, you know what serving is? Serving is entirely different. Serving is all about the other person. Serving doesn't put any emphasis on you at all. It ain't about you at all. You have to die to yourself. You have to take a towel. You have to take a basin. You have to put water in it. You have to begin to wash stinking feet. It's not about you. It's about the other person. Serving is about putting their needs above your own, regardless of what your needs are. So Jesus takes... A basin of water and he takes a towel and he ties around his waist and, and without saying a word, without giving a speech or a talk on washing feet, without music in the background. Because we love that, don't we? Preacher, we love that music stuff in the background. You know, put on a little Willie Nelson or something. I don't know anyway, but, uh, so we, you know, and so he, he takes it, why did I say that? He takes this basin of water and he gets down on his knees. And he begins to wash feet. And they're stopped dead in their tracks. They have no earthly idea what to do. There's another time when a basin of water is mentioned in Scripture. Maybe you'll remember it. 
It's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. There's a crowd of people. Now, you have to understand, we've set this up a little bit all week long, actually, and I wasn't smart enough to know that in the beginning, but we talked about the crucifixion of Jesus. You know that he was beaten almost to death. That was Pilate's plan. I'll have him beat almost to death. I'll bring him back in front of the people. It's their Passover time. We're going to set some criminal free. Jesus has not done anything. He's not done anything to these people at all. He's only guilty of loving them, healing their sick, and, I mean, raising the dead for Pete's sake. I mean, why in the world would they want to kill this man? I'll tell you what I'll do. It's their Passover. And so I'll say, we're going to set a criminal free. Would you rather have set Jesus, who's never done anything, or another man named Barabbas, who's the most notorious criminal that we have in jail? And so he stands there. He thinks, I've got this one licked. You know what I mean? I got this one won. There's no way these people could be that angry at Jesus. But he was wrong. And so he he says, which guy do you want us to set free? And they said, set Barabbas free. Crucify Jesus. And then Pilate walks over to a basin of water and he dips his hands down and he washes his hands and he says, I want you people to know that I'm going to wash my hands of this whole mess. Right now, we, we all have a basin of water in front of us. We have a basin of water in front of us, and we have one of two choices. One choice is... Um, You can take that basin of water and you can say, you know what? I wash my hands of this whole serving mess. I, 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 no, I ain't buying it. You can guilt me all you want to. I ain't going to serve. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a follower of Jesus. I'm going to become a member of a church that will serve me. Take care of my needs. Meet my needs. Doggone it. And so we, we flock. We, we search for churches like we do for cell phone companies, you know? Who's got the best deal? Where do we get the best service? For the lowest price. Right? And so we kind of search for churches that way. Where can I go? Do the least. Have to give the least. But still be a part of a really good church. And so we say, I'll wash my hands of this. Some of y'all try to be real spiritual. Say, I don't have the spiritual gift. There ain't no spiritual gift. Washing feet ain't a spiritual gift. Well, how do I serve? You know what you do? We teach people this all the time. I don't know what my gift package is. I've tried, I've done a gift, spiritual gift. I don't know what to do. Well, bless your heart. Try this. Why don't you just see a need and meet it? I got something for you. You don't even have to pray about it. You don't. No one in the Bible. You gotta pray about it. There's a need. You see it. You know what? You meet the need. You say, God, would you have me to pick up that piece of paper that's in the floor? Now, it's in the middle of the church. But after all, we do have people that we have hired to do that. I might be taking their job away from them. Oh, Lord and God in heaven, God of the heavens and the earth, God of the paper in the trash, Lord, would it be your will for me to pick up that piece of paper? Obviously, God, the answer would be no, because I haven't heard you speak to me, Lord. And so until I find my calling, <laughs> until I understand what you want me to do with the gifts that you've given me, because I don't have the gift of picking up trash, I will leave it so somebody else can pick it up. See, it's, it's about seeing need. And it's about picking up trash. Uh, you know how we clean our church? 
We do it by volunteers. We used to pay people to do it. And, uh, and y'all probably wouldn't understand this, but we kind of went through a financial uh, struggle, and so we had, to, uh, we had to let some people go. And uh, I said, well, I guess, they, you know, they got to go. So we were paying several thousand dollars a year to hire somebody to clean the church, and we started using volunteers. And we got volunteers together. We had a system. We had a strategy. And guess what? Our church looks better right now than it's ever looked. It's always clean. I'll tell you why. Because it's their church. Are you kidding me? When they show up on Sunday morning, they go, I'm back in that floor. <laughs> what I'm talking about. It's kind of crazy. Like they're standing over there close to the toilet. I clean that one. <laughs> it looks good, don't it? You know what I'm talking about? I can clean some toilets. It's a spiritual gift. <laughs> well, your second choice, of course, is you can just take a basin of water and you can just uh, kneel down and you can wash feet. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for many. So the question is, what will you do? See, I started last night by really telling you this, that for us at Springwell, we hang our hats on five things. And that's it. That's all we're going to do. We're not doing any more. We're going to hang our hat on five things. Because there are so many things out there. There's so many books. There's so many conferences. You, oh, my gosh. You can, you can fill your head with so much stuff. I said, we're going we're to hang our hat on several things. We want people to show up. We want them to grow up. We want them to step up and serve. We just want them to serve. What will you do? Maybe you're here tonight and you're a follower of Jesus and you've just realized that you just really haven't had the heart of serving. The heart of serving. The heart of serving. A heart that just says, God, I don't care what the need is. I'll just, let me see a need. I'll just do it. And honestly, this is really tough to say, but maybe you've been more of a taker than you have a giver. Maybe you've been more concerned about your needs being met than you have that the needs of others are met. And I just wonder if that would be you. Man, this is a tough one. If you could say, you know what, I think I'm kind of guilty of that. You slip up your hand, is there anybody in here tonight? Yeah, thank you. God bless your heart. Yeah, it's tough being honest sometimes, isn't it? Thank you so much. Because you know what, I'm right there with you. Sometimes, man, I think, really? Why oh, I gotta clean that toilet? I'm the pastor of this church. You gotta, you gotta be kidding me. We ain't got somebody else in here who can clean the toilet. And God will speak to me and He'll say, Yes, we do. And it's you. Maybe you're here uh, tonight and you've just realized that you're not a disciple of Jesus. And maybe Jesus is calling you to follow Him. And tonight you're just, uh, you're standing in front of two basins. And what will you do? Will you stoop to serve? Will you accept? Will you choose to follow Jesus? Or will you stand over this one? And will you say, I washed my hands of this whole Jesus thing. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, then you have a choice that you have to make. Will you choose to become a follower of Jesus and serve Him and through serving Him serve others? Is that your choice? What will you do? If you're here tonight and you say, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to, I want to follow you, Lord. I want to serve you. 
I want to serve like you served when you walked here on planet Earth. And I'm going to choose tonight to give my life to you. If that's you, I just want to encourage you right there in your seat to just pray this prayer with me right now. Say something like this. Lord Jesus, I'm a, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. Please save me. I don't want to be just a Christian or a disciple in name. I want to be a disciple. I want to follow You. I want You to be my Lord and my Savior, my Master. So forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. I fully surrender my life to You. I want to be Your child. Thank You for Your love. And thank You for saving me. I'm going to ask if you will to stand with me. If you're here tonight and uh, God spoke to your heart, just like we've done in every service, uh, you know, uh, for those of us that have been in church for a long time, there's something pretty special about just coming to the altar and kneeling here. And maybe God spoke to your heart. Maybe that's just what you need to do. You need to firm up that commitment that you made. And for you, it would be just that stepping out and coming. I'll ask Lynn. He'll be here. Uh, I'll be here to pray with you in any way that we can. If you prayed that prayer tonight and you accepted Christ as your Savior, man, I wish you would just share that with us. Go be so that we can celebrate your decision with you. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.